Amen. Thank you, choir, so much. That is one of the blessings I miss by attending the 11 o'clock service, is missing the choir. And that is exactly what we're going to be discussing this morning, is this idea of the story and what that means to us and how that gives us life and how that gives us hope. Uh, For those of you who do not know me, my name is Joe Mays. I am the student pastor here at Mount Pleasant. A few times a year, you'll be seeing me uh, preaching from the pulpit. Uh, Part of today is graduation Sunday, so I've had the opportunity to be able to to share this morning, and I do not take this for granted. I'm thankful to be a being able to preach and teach to, to students on a weekly basis. But when I get that, this opportunity, um, I'm thankful to God. I'm thankful to our pastor and our church that allows me to be able to do this this morning. <clears throat> if you walk into a large bookstore these days, whether it's Books a Million or Barnes and Nobles or something else, there is something that I find very unique and quite interesting. There's a trend that is happening in America today, and the trend is there's a section in the bookstores that continues to grow. That section in the bookstores that continues to grow is a section called or entitled self-help. See, the thing is, Americans today want help and any uh, self-help for, from anything or everything that comes their way this side of heaven. But my concern is that we have put more trust in secondary issues within the self-help section rather than hope in the life and death issues that we can find in God's word. So I say that today to understand that self-help is not what we need. The self-help industry recorded over $10 billion in sales last year. And the sad thing about this is some of the largest self-help books are written by pastors or so-called pastors, Christians. I mention that because we are in a day and age in our culture where we daily have to decide if the decisions that we're making reflect what we truly believe about life and death or, or will it be so wrapped up within a culture that really wants nothing to do with Jesus. See, this has been the same course for our Christian faith over the past 2,000 plus years. As we study this morning, we're going to look at three simple points about how every culture should have a concept of life and death, depending on where they stand with Jesus, should be reflective on where they stand on the issue of life and death. So if you are able and willing, please stand with me as we turn to the book of Philippians chapter 1 and as we read there this morning. I'm going to start with verse 12, and this is from the ESV uh, Bible. This is what it says. Inspired by God, inerrant without error, it says this. I want, you, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest of my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord, may be imprisoned uh, uh, by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak of the word without fear. 
Some indeed preach Christ from every, uh, from envy and rivalry, but, but others from, God, uh, from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed and that I will rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, that this turn, uh, that this will turn out for my deliverance as it is uh, my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live as Christ and to die as gain, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ for uh, this is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me, you may have ample calls to the glory of Christ Jesus because of any, uh, because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that uh, whether I come and see you or am am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of Christ of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your uh, opponents. This is a clear sign to them of the destruction, but of your salvation and uh, and that from God, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer in his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful that today we can look at this issue of life and death. What does our culture say about it? What does God's word say about it? And Lord, how can we trust more in this life that you have given us than we currently have trust in right now. And Lord, as we look forward and think about the death, Lord, do we find hope in where we will spend eternity? Or is there emptiness and lostness? Please give us clarity of thought today. And Lord, I pray that the spirit would move among us. And I pray this in your name. Amen. If you do not have a Bible, you can grab a Bible um, in front of you and you can follow along in Philippians chapter one. If you don't have a copy of God's word, we encourage you, you can take that copy with you um, as you leave here this morning. So we're gonna look at three simple points and point number one that we see here, trying to compare life and death, what that looks like in our life and where we are as a, as a Christian culture today here at Mount Pleasant is we see this idea of life's mission versus death's hopelessness. Life's mission versus death's hopelessness. Now, listen to the apostle Paul here 
starting with verse 12, and listen to how he gives us this idea that we are on mission for him, for God, and for the glory of God. And if you're not on mission for him, there's a sense of hopelessness. We see this starting with verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to this, to me, has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the, all the, the rest of uh, that my, my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So what Paul is saying is we're on mission to advance the gospel in this community and throughout the world. And we will do it without fear. We will do it no matter what the cost is. It was for the mission, the advancement of the gospel, which Paul lived so passionately for. And I want to encourage you this morning, are you living that same passion for the advancement of the gospel, for the mission that God has called us to as Paul was? See, Paul speaking to the elders in the church of Ephesus in Acts chapter 20 verse 24, this is what he says. He says, but I do not on my own account, or, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So what Paul is saying to the elders of the church of Ephesus is I just want to advance the gospel and I want to continue to do this until the day I go home to see my savior. And that's what we are called to. That is the mission we are called to. See, everything in our lives should only have importance to the degree that it advances the gospel. So the things that our kids and our grandkids are involved in, it should only have importance to the degree that it advances the gospel. The work that we are a part of should only have importance to the degree that it advances the gospel. Because here's the thing, all of us are missionaries and all of us are called to advance the gospel. Doesn't mean you need a title, pastor. Doesn't mean that you need a title, missionary. We are all called to the same thing and the same mission. And this is why it is so important to teach our kids at a very young age that the gospel should be the center of our lives. The things that they are involved in, the things that they do, the gospel should be the center of their lives. I have three kids and I could tell stories all day long and use illustrations all day long about my kids. I have a four-year-old daughter, Amelia, a two-year-old son who's about to turn three. You'll hear a little bit more about him in a little bit. Uh, And uh, Liam. And then I have a daughter who is nine months, Harper. But my four-year-old daughter, and I'm sure this is going to happen with my son too. I just started the same thing. Uh, She really thinks the world revolves around her. I know none of you know what I'm talking about, but at her young age, she thinks Amelia is the center of attention. All right. And some of our students don't help with that either because she is the center of the attention when she's around. But here's a conversation that we have. I almost have daily trying to shape her heart, 
trying to, even at a young age, teach and train her, is she'll come up, Dad, I want, I want this, I need this, I want that. And this is what I will say. Amelia, the world does not revolve around you. Now, you might think that's a little harsh, but you know what? We want to, as parents, from this day, the day that God has blessed us with the kids that we have, we want to teach them and train them that it's not about them. It's about a bigger mission. It's about a bigger thing. God has placed us here so that we can glorify him by living our lives for the glory of God. And this is why, let me just say this. I'm going to kind of go on a tangent. Uh, This is why children's ministry is so important. This is why we need the most volunteers. If you're at the business meeting the other day, uh, the nominating committee says the most volunteers in this church that we need are in children's ministry. And we need more and more and more. We need senior adults. We need parents. We need middle-aged people. We need young adults. We need teenagers. All of us to be pouring into children's ministry because we want to teach them that the world doesn't revolve around them. It does. It revolves around Jesus and a Savior who died on the cross for us. See, the word here, when Paul is talking about advancing the gospel, he says, serve to advance the gospel in verse 12. That Greek word there, prokope, means not merely moving ahead, but doing so against obstacles. So advancing the gospel is doing so as you move and advance uh, through obstacles. See, our mission of advancing the gospel in this community and throughout this world will have obstacles and resistance and nobody knew it better than Paul. How unavoidable the resistance of Satan in the world would become. If there's someone who knew that there would be obstacles coming your way and be able to tell you about it, it's the apostle Paul. He gets thrown into prison for advancing the gospel. And then what does he do? He goes into prison and he advances the gospel there. That is the mission that we are on. The resistance Paul faced was being imprisoned for two years, which he used to advance the gospel. Look at verse 13. So that it it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. You see what Paul is saying? The guards here know why I'm here. They've heard about Jesus. Let me ask you, do the people you work with know why you're there? Have they heard about Jesus? Do they know the mission that you are on? See, our resistance is more on societal issues today, on societal changes, how we define the family and or let people live the way that they want to live or the way that feels right for them. Those are kind of our resistance today. We don't, we don't face here in America in the year 2016 the same type of resistance that Paul did. But we have our own resistance that we face. And that's why the mission that we are called to, this mission, we can't do it on our own, but we need to rely on someone who is far greater and far stronger than any one of us. We need to rely on Jesus. See, Paul's faithful mission, 
not only won converts outside the church, but also strengthened and encouraged believers within the church. How incredible is that? He's not just winning those over to Jesus, but those who are in the church of Ephesus and in the church of Philippi are hearing about it and they are encouraged. And that's what we are called to. We can neither ignore the loss outside the church as a part of our mission or the believers inside the church as a part of our mission. All of that is our responsibility. And that's why he says, most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear. What he's saying, what is, what he's saying there in verse 14 is, because I'm doing this here, others are more willing to do it outside of here. Let me kind of put that into an application today. Courage becomes contagious within the church. Let me say that again. Courage becomes contagious within the church. When a few have a little bit of courage, God can use that to spread that courage all throughout the church. So if you're looking around today and saying, I'm just not a part of this, what, what we're seeing here, what, this advancement of the gospel, your courage could help encourage Isn't that unique that the word courage is in the word encourage? Your courage could help encourage others to have a little more courage. See, we have no courage in a sense of hopelessness if our mission is found in ourselves rather than the things of God. Or if our mission is found in our kids becoming college sports or college athletes one day. Or if our mission is found in our kids being on Broadway one day. That's not our mission. We, we pray for them. We want them to do what the Lord desires. But our mission is not found in anyone else. It's not found in my spouse and it's not found in your spouse. It's not found in my parents and it's not found in my kids. The only mission that I have is found in Jesus Christ. Or I'm hopeless. Our hopelessness is in our own achievements which lead us towards death. We must put our hope in Christ and his mission, but we cannot do that unless we have given him our lives and allowed him to be the Lord and Savior of our lives. Death is hopelessness to those who don't believe, while the mission of Christ is life-giving. Death is hopelessness if you don't believe in Jesus. So let's get to know him and be on mission for him. Three or four years ago, I, I preached a sermon on not wasting our life. And um, I used this excerpt, and I'm going to use it again this morning. It just fits beautifully in what we're talking about. From a book called Don't Waste Your Life by John Piper, which I encourage every Christian to read it. And I know some of you have already read it. It's, it's a must-read, just a, a great, challenging book for people who are in their teenage years, 20s, and people who are in their 60s and 70s. And this is what John Piper says. In April 2000, Ruby Eliason and Laura Edwards were killed in Cameroon, West Africa. Ruby was over 80, single all of her life. She poured it out for one great thing, to make Jesus known among the unreached, the poor and the sick. Laura was a widow, a medical doctor, pushing 80 years old and serving at Ruby's side in Cameroon. The brakes failed, the car went over the cliff, and they were killed both instantly. 
I asked my congregation the next Sunday, was that a tragedy? Two lives driven by one great passion, namely to be spent in unheralded, ser- unheralded service to the perishing poor, the glory of Jesus Christ, even two decades after most American counterparts had retired to throw away their lives on trifles? No, that is not a tragedy. Tragedy. That is a glory. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. Mark chapter 8, verse 35. Not all of us are going to be called to the mission field when we retire. Most of us probably will not. But I ask you, are you on mission? Do you see life's mission? And do you see death's hopelessness? Death doesn't have to be hopeless. If you're on mission for Christ. Point number two. Life's fruitfulness versus death's emptiness. Life's fruitfulness versus death's emptiness. Look at verses 19 and following. It says, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live as Christ is to die as gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor. Do you hear that? That means fruitful labor labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two, my desire to depart and to be with Christ, and, uh, which is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in, in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause for the glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. See, a faithful life is dedicated to producing fruit. Producing fruit. And, and let me even add to that, producing good fruit. Because we all produce fruit. So some of us produce sour fruit or bad fruit. The life we have in Christ should be producing fruit. And if it's not, it's probably giving us a sense of emptiness. Some of us today are not producing good fruit because we don't know Jesus and it's giving us a sense of emptiness. Paul had a desire to know Christ intimately. Paul wanted to know Jesus intimately. And for that to be seen throughout his fruitful life. And he wanted to see the fruit that came out of his life to be that of Jesus. To understand fruitfulness being in one's life, we must understand the phrase that Paul says here in verse 21. One of my favorite passages of scripture throughout the entire Bible, the apostle Paul says, to live as Christ, to die as gain. To live is Christ and to die is gain. That is someone who understands the mission. That is someone who understands fruitfulness. What does it mean to live as Christ? To live as Christ means that Christ is the reason that Paul is is here and will be the reason that he continues to do everything that he does and continues to desire the things that he desires. 
What does it mean to live as Christ? To live as Christ means one day he will die and that will be a positive thing because he gets to spend eternity with Jesus in heaven forever. If you truly live as Christ, then dying is a positive thing. It's a game because you, you, you get to spend eternity with the one who made you and made this earth and made this world. You get to spend eternity with the one who died on the cross so that you could have life and understand what life is all about. Some today have a sense of emptiness. Probably this morning, some of you probably have a sense of emptiness. And that emptiness comes from a lack of understanding the power of Jesus Christ. In the presence of Jesus. Emptiness occurs when you're living in the flesh, like verse 22. If I am to live in the flesh, Paul says, that means fruitful labor for me. See, what, what Paul is saying is some of you are experiencing emptiness because you're living for yourself. It's just like my four-year-old daughter. It's not about you. It's not about any one of us. It's about him and it's about his glory. There's a book out there that another, I'm going to keep giving you books that I think you should read, but uh, I hope some of you will. There's a great book out there called The Cost of Discipleship by a guy by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Some of you probably have heard that name before. He was a believer who was over in Germany during the, the Nazi era. Okay, and he ends up losing his life because he's helping, he's trying to help save, you know, believers and Jews and others over in that area. And this is what he says in the, so someone who is giving his life for the sake of Christ, this is what he says in the book of uh, The Cost of Discipleship. The cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ When Christ calls a man, he bids him come to die. What he's saying is, to live as Christ, to die is gain. When Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. So let's ask ourselves this morning, is your life, is my life dedicated to producing fruit? Or are we just merely empty? So we're here to produce fruit. A faithful life also is devoted to producing fruit that is necessary for others to have. So as you're producing fruit, it should be that others look at you and want some of what you have. Like I remember um, my wife uh, used, uh, when we were living living in Indiana, she was working at a um, doctor's office um, about 20 minutes away from the church that we were serving at, uh, she would come home and we had a couple miscarriages the first few years of our marriage. And she had a few of her coworkers who were like, how, how, do you, how do you do it? How do you put your hope in God when things like this happen? And what I would encourage anyone is those are the, whether it's a miscarriage, whether it's losing a parent, whether it's just everyday life situations, those are the same conversations we all should be having. If we're bearing fruit, people want what we have. Like, how, how is it that you do that? Well, let me tell you, there's a guy by the name of Jesus. 
and I can put my hope in him, and I can put my trust in him. And the church of Jesus Christ should display that there isn't any kind of emptiness in this church like there is in this world. Paul would gladly postpone his heavenly blessing for the sake of continuing to serve earthly saints. Paul's saying, man, would I love to go and see Jesus right now. Would I love to be in the presence of God? Yes. But my work here isn't done. See, here's the thing. People mimic us. They look at us and they mimic us. That's why it's so important for us to get this right. I was talking about my son earlier. My son does everything that I do. I mean, he's just two. He'll be three in a couple weeks. I mean, anything I do, my son's right there doing that same thing. But you know what? Liam also knows who he is, okay? So one of the things that um, I, I know how to push his buttons, I know how to pick on him. Um, but one of the things I do is um, we, ever since we had Harper, so for that past nine months, I've been trying to convince Amelia and Harper, as she's starting to say words and stuff, to call Liam Bubby, okay? Because he's their brother. So I'll be like, hey, hey, Bubby, come here. Come here, Bubby. Are you awake, Bubby? And he'll look at me as serious as can be. I am not Bubby. He says, I am Liam James. And he probably says it more like, I am William James. But here's the thing. He knows who he is. Whether we call him Bubby or brother or, or son, he knows that he is Liam. Do we know who we are? Do, do we, because people mimic us, do people know that we are from God and we, are, we find our hope in Jesus? Know who you are this morning because the Holy Spirit will bless the labor that is producing fruit in the labor that is affecting others. Do you see the faithfulness of having the fruit of the Spirit in your life? The fruit of the Spirit is found in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Against such these there is no law. Do you see that faithfulness in your life? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Do you see the faithfulness of having the fruit of righteousness or righteous deeds in your life? Righteous deeds is talked about here in Philippians chapter 1, right before we got started in verse 11. It says, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, the glory and praise of God. Do you see that faithfulness in your life? The faithfulness of righteous deeds that we are doing everything, our work, our, our, our jobs, schools, what it, you know, our retirement is all, all for the righteousness of God. The way the Holy Spirit works through us to be faithful and fruitful should be an impact on others. Otherwise, we're not really allowing the Spirit to work through us anyway. Verse 25 says this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for the progress and joy in your faith. 
I'm staying with you all so that I can continue to grow, see you grow in your faith. So I can continue to see the joy in your faith. Have you ever met someone who doesn't like to see others succeed? You know what I'm talking about? You know the type of person I'm talking about, right? I mean, have you ever met someone who doesn't like others to be more knowledgeable about a certain situation or more spiritual, spiritual about a cer- certain situation? It's like they want everyone to fail unless they are the one succeeding. That's not what Paul is like. Paul wants everyone to have spiritual success And a faithful life that bears fruit and isn't empty is one that desires others' faith to progress in their growth and in their joy. So if we are faithful to the call that Jesus has called us to, we're progressing in our joy and progressing in our faith. And we want others to do that. We don't want others to fail We don't want others to fall. We want everyone in the church to succeed. We want the teenagers, the students, the children, the college-age students, the middle-age adults, the senior citizens. We want us all to succeed in our faith and growing and bearing fruit. And we find pleasure in seeing others grow in their faith. Even if it's at a faster rate than us, that's okay. To the glory of God, may they continue to grow in their joy and in their faith. A faithful life is being devoted to increasing faith and helping it overflow with joy. Progressing in, your, in our faith does not come without a price. It is always accompanied by progressing in our joy. See, Our faith and the joy we have in Jesus doesn't come without a price. There is one price that paid for it all on the cross of Jesus Christ. It paid for all of that. But there still are prices that we have to endure in this life as we progress in our joy and our faith. Apostle Paul says later on in Philippians, Philippians 3, 7 through 9, he says this. But whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. I don't need anything except for, to, for, except for the Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and counted them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a, righteous, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from my law, but that which comes from faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. See, Paul's saying nothing matters in this world except for Jesus and the things of Jesus. This is why we must worry about faithfulness and let the Lord worry about the results that come our way. Our faithfulness should be bound up in our reliance on God and not ourselves. And if it's so hard for your life to find joy today, please understand that the Lord desires your joy to be in him and nothing else. He's a jealous God. As we read about, he's a jealous God and he wants our full attention. Point number three, and we'll close here. We see life's anchor versus death's destruction. Life's anchor versus death's destruction. Verse 27 and following says this, 
Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or, am I, or I am absent, I may hear of, what, of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. There is a clear sign to them of the destruction but of your salvation in that from God. For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only be- believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw uh, I had, and now here that I still have. You, you, you either today have an anchor in your life that is Christ, or you are staring down at death, with death which leads to destruction. Our anchor is seen in our lives. We see that in verse 27 when it says, be worthy of the, go- be wor- worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. The people who are around you daily were asked, what is your life anchored on? What would they say? Say anchored on finances, job, family, kids, grades, sports. Does your life and everything you say and do show you're anchored in Christ? Because if, if not, it's leading you to destruction. Or are we so concerned about what people might think of us we're so concerned that people might think that we're one of those crazy Christians that we make sure we don't give them the wrong impression. Well, let me tell you this today, church, in the culture that we live in today, I'd much rather be one of those crazy Christians who's living for the gospel than someone who's completely empty and is leading a life towards destruction. We should not be, as it tells us here, frightened in anything by our opponents because there is a clear sign of them by their destruction but of our salvation and that from God. See, if the Lord is our anchor, we have nothing to fear. If the Lord is your anchor today, you have nothing to fear. You don't fear this presidential election. If the Lord is your anchor. You don't fear politics if the Lord is your anchor. You don't fear raising kids in in a crazy and chaotic world if the Lord is your anchor. And I even say that and I step back even myself and say, is he my anchor? Because I don't know if I can say yes to all of that. But he needs to be our anchor in everything. Just give you a couple examples and we'll close. Think back to Esther chapter 4 where Esther responds to Mordecai. After being told she'd be put in front of the king, this is what she says. Go, gather all the Jews to be in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf. And do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I'm a young woman who will also fast as well. Then I will go to the king Uh, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. She's saying, put everything 
in Jesus. Put everything in God. Put your hope in God. And you know what? If I lose my life because I'm doing what God wants me to do, so be it. That's the type of faith. That's the type of mission. That's the type of anchor we need God to be. Also, consider probably one of the most famous stories in the Bible, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And what their answer was to Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 3, verse 16 through 18. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods and worship the golden image that you have set up. May we proclaim that today, that we are not going to serve any golden image that this country or any other country serves up to us. But that we are going to do what what, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did and say, I am going to stand by my God and whatever comes my way. He is going to be my anchor and he may deliver me and he may not. But I'm going to be okay with whatever the result is. What type of anchor is holding your life in place right now? Maybe you're here today and you're a Christian and you just need to reaffirm your life in Jesus. And that he is your anchor. Maybe you're a Christian and your life has spiraled out of control. And you just need to be re-anchored this morning. Or maybe as we have talked and seen this passage, passage from Philippians this morning. That you realize that you don't have any hope. But you can find that hope in, in the life that you have in Christ. Maybe you have found hopelessness, emptiness, and destruction. And the death that you may one day or one day you will have. But you can put your trust and your hope in Jesus. There's good news for us all today. We have seen this throughout, the, since the beginning of creation, that we all can have hope. I think of it like this. Use the acronym GOSPEL. You see in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God creates us to be with him. Then you move on to Genesis chapter 3 and we see that our sins separate us from God. We mess it up. God didn't mess it up. We mess it up. And then we see out throughout the entire Old Testament that sins cannot be removed by good deeds. Time and time again, people think that their sins can be removed by good deeds. That's why the entire Old Testament is pointing to Jesus. If you can't see Jesus in the Old Testament, you're not reading it well. He's all over it. Because sins cannot be removed by good deeds. But here's the good news. In the Gospels, we see that paying the price for sins, Jesus died and he rose again. He gives us an anchor. He gives us hope. And he gives us a reason to live. Then later on, we see that everyone who trusts in him, we see this as the church comes to information in Acts chapter 2. And we see this all throughout Acts that everyone who trusts in him has eternal life. So if you trust in him today, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you feel like your life is leading towards emptiness and hopelessness and destruction, if you trust in him today, you have eternal life. And there's nothing that can take that away. And then throughout the Old Testament, we read about how life with Jesus starts now, and it lasts forever. 
Church, that's good news for us this morning. So no matter where you're at, no matter what you're a part of, we pray that you don't view death as hopeless, that you don't view it as emptiness, and you don't view it as destruction. But because of the life's mission that you are on and the hope that you can find in Jesus, for to me to live as Christ, to die is gain. Let's pray. Father, as we have our invitation this morning, and as the pastors come forward, we just pray that you would, your spirit would move among the people here. And that, God, you would use this time to just create a clean heart among all of us, that your spirit would use this time to um, allow us to be convicted of our sins and how we often put other things in front of God. May we together today, more than ever before, feel a sense of being on mission for you, advancing the gospel at whatever cost, whatever we are involved in, if it's not about advancing the gospel, God, please remove it from our lives. And Lord, thank you for loving us, for sending your son so that we could have life. And we pray this in your name. Amen.